Well, hello. So I must, may as well get this uh, very conspicuous thing out of the way. I had a little accident yesterday. I'm a rookie when it comes to hunting, and I was trying to learn someone, use someone's rifle, and um, I just learned that the phrase for what happened to me is called being scoped. Uh, so I had to go to the emergency room and get a few stitches. I was prepared to tell you that it was actually my new bride that I offended in some way and didn't know exactly what I did to upset her, but that wouldn't be the truth. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray. I know I need the Holy Spirit's help. We all need the Holy Spirit to help us to receive the Word of God. So let's pray, and Lord, we come to you, Lord, Holy Spirit, teacher, revealer of truth, help me, clearly help me, help each of us to receive the influence you want us to receive as we aim to sit before you and receive the word, and this morning, Lord, I find myself thinking about your directive to us through the scriptures to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and Lord, the Jewish people are still your people, and you certainly still care about the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs. You care about all people, for you are willing that none perish, but that all come to the knowledge of the truth. And you said you take no pleasure even in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked are dependent live. But this morning, Lord, I'd like to just simply ask you in your great mercy to extend mercy to your people Israel. Would you help them to turn to you? You, Jesus, are their Messiah. Open their eyes to see, because, Lord, you... You spoke of a time when they would return to you. They would return to you as a people. Their hearts would be softened, they would repent, they would return to you, they would recognize that Jesus Christ is Messiah, is Lord. And Lord, we lift them up, have mercy upon them in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, just say amen. We also wanna remember that we have missionaries in Israel that we support, it, the, the organization is called Vision for Israel, it's Barry and Batya Siegel. Keep them in your prayers, please. So last week, uh, we continued our series on what I've been calling simple practices, practices that help us to connect with God, what a lot of people call the spiritual disciplines, some people call holy habits. Although those titles work for me, we're gonna continue this series. I think this is part eight today. Last week, we talked about uh, the confession of sin as a practice, and and this week, I wanted to share with you a little bit about the other side of confession. The word confession, if you remember, means to say the same thing as. It comes from a couple of Greek words, and that's what they mean, to say the same thing as. And for the Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, it means to say the same thing as God is saying about anything, anything at all. And so, last week, our focus was on confessing sin, and we might want to just, for sake of review, consider what's the benefit of confessing sin. Well, when you make a sincere apology to someone, you're taking the first step toward healing in that relationship. Have you found that to be the case? If you've been hurt by someone, doesn't it help if you hear someone say, you know, I'm sorry, I really blew it. That, that wasn't okay. I'm sorry what I did. Would you forgive me? Boy, does that help. That's beautiful. So when we make a sincere apology, it's the first step toward healed relationship with God and others. 
John calls this walking in the light. In 1 John 1, 7, he says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. One another. Who's the one another there? Each other and, and God himself. And then he says, and then we get cleansed and we'll be cleansed from all unrighteousness. You ever feel dirty? You ever feel some of the things you've done, some choices you've made have influenced you to feel dirty, to feel less than? You know, God likes to clean us up. He likes to wash us up. I like to be scrubbed up. Man, when I, I'll tell you, when I'm grimy, when it's a hot summer day, when the humidity is high, and I've been working outside, and my, my body's covered with a coat of grime, I can't wait to get in and get under the shower. Get cleaned up, man. God likes, likes to clean us up, and all we need to do is confess and to say, Lord, I sinned, I sinned. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And then he does that. He forgives our sin, and he separates it from us as far as the east is from the west. Wow. And he remembers it no more. So what is the other side of confession? The other side is simply confessing our faith. Today's text, if you confess with your mouth. Now, the translation we used that was up on the screen is the NIV. It says, if you declare with your mouth. But in the original language, it's homologia. It's the same word. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and for the first century New Testament believers, this was a costly confession to make because they were living in the days of the Caesars. And Caesar was declared as Lord, and to declare anyone else as Lord was to commit treason, and it could cost you your life. And so Paul is saying, if you confess, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to experience salvation. You're going to be saved. And, and the word saved means to have a restored relationship with God and to be forgiven. And it means that all of God's benefits are available to you. And then he says, with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then Paul also has something similar to say to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4 he says, it's written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. He's quoting from Psalm 116. I believe, therefore I have spoken. And he said, since we have the same spirit of faith as those people had, we also believe and we also speak. Note that belief drives speech. What you believe drives what you say. And in practical terms, this means that I need to learn to say what God is saying about everything. And in order to do that, my beliefs need to be adjusted. Have you found that out? Sometimes our beliefs need to be adjusted. We need to remember this text. In Luke 6, 45, it says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you ever listen to your talk, your self-talk, It'll reveal a lot to you about what's inside of your heart. See, I need to fill my heart with God and his word while practicing speech 
that aligns with what he says. Please just consider these things. I need to fill my heart with God and his word while practicing speech or ways of speaking that align with what he says. Have you noted the power of belief? I want you to think about the possibility that you're traveling in the south. Maybe Alabama. You know there's a lot of poisonous snakes in Alabama. You're going to see some friends and you don't actually like staying with people in their homes. You like having your privacy. Maybe you have weird nighttime practices like I do. Get up in the middle of the night. I won't give you too much information for various reasons. And you just like privacy. So there you are. But before you turn the lights out, you see a rattlesnake coiled in the corner of the room. And, and it's rattling. And uh, I mean, in a moment's time, nanoseconds, your, your heart rate goes up. I bet your blood pressure does too. And you find yourself reacting in other ways physically, like moving as far away as you can, backing up, looking for the door. And then all of a sudden, you realize that your friend that you're visiting is a prankster. And at some point, you also realize that is not a real snake. And what happens when you realize it's not a real snake? Your heart rate goes down immediately. Your blood pressure goes down back to normal. Physically, you feel comfortable moving closer to the fake snake. Maybe you devise some plans about how you're going to repay your friend. You see what happens when we believe something? When we, when we believe that snake, if I believe that snake is a real threat, it affects my emotions, it affects me physically, it, it in some way influences my actions. Does that make sense? That's how powerful belief is. So I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you are familiar with this story. But some of you aren't, and this is a good story. And I love to hear myself tell it. <laughs> but the athletes here will really appreciate this. Whether you're a college athlete or a high school athlete or, you know, a, 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 someone who was an athlete years ago. So when I was in high school, my junior year in high school, I, was, I wrestled through in high school and college. And, and it was like my family. And the coach was like a surrogate dad to me. And, uh, and I wrestled when I, was a, when I was a junior. Man, I wrestled at 123 pounds. Yeah, wow, that's pretty skinny. I had to run around the shower to get wet. We had a guy on our team who wrestled heavyweight. He's one of the best athletes I'd ever met. He was a senior. He was only 5'10", so not too tall for a heavyweight. And he only weighed 205, so not too heavy for a heavyweight, but he was too lazy to cut down to 185. And honestly, this guy, he was the fastest guy on the football team in those days, they didn't run 40-yard dashes. They ran 50-yard dashes, and he ran something like a 5.550. I mean, pretty close to world-class speed at 205. And he was this incredible athlete. He, I'd never seen a man built like him. This is not an exaggeration. I took the measurements myself. He had a 19-and-a-half-inch neck. He had 19-and-a-half-inch 19, 19 biceps. We used to say he had a back, a, 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 a back like, you know, 
looked like a bag of doorknobs, just ripples and bumps. And his lats were so wide, it looked like his arms were on shelves. And honestly, it took two of us to get his spandex, spandex singlet over each shoulder. We had to pry it over his shoulder. And he, his good-looking guy looked like Marlon Brando, superstar student, National Honor Society, became a doctor, bright guy, and just always kind of wore a scowl. And I saw him personally lift up a Volkswagen by himself and push it in between, wheel it in between a parking meter and a lamppost just for fun. <laughs> so you can imagine that me being a 123-pounder, I had a lot of respect for him. He could hurt people. So I'm in my suburban Chicago high school lobby after school, hundreds of kids waiting for buses. Wrestling season's over. Now I've really bulked up, man. I'm like up to 140 or something. And somebody said to me, go ask, and his name was Rockoff. What a name. Even the name was intimidating, Rockoff. First name, Mark. Go ask him, but we called him Rock. We called him Sir, whatever he wanted to be called. That's what we called him. Somebody said, hey, go ask Rockoff how his little sister's piano lessons are going. And I said, no, nah, I don't think I want to do that. And they said, no, no, it'd be good, it'd be funny. I don't know why I trusted these guys. So I interrupted a conversation Rockoff is having with some other people. And I said, hey, Rock, uh, how's your little sister's piano lessons going? And he looked at me. If looks could kill, I was, I was dead. He said, that's not funny. He says, my little sister doesn't have hands. Yeah, I mean, little as I was, I snapped. I heard those guys that set me up for this. They were, they were behind me. They were laughing. I literally leapt on both of them. I was trying to dig both of their eyeballs out of their heads. I literally was. It took about five guys to pull me off. And then Rockoff came over, and he was laughing, and I realized he was in on it. It was a complete joke. He didn't even have a little sister. Yeah, he was too much for me to hurt, but literally if I'd have had a gun, I would have shot him. I was so incensed, I didn't think this was funny at all. But you know what I learned? I learned that what you believe feels just like the truth. I believed the lie. And my body came into agreement with it. My emotions. You cannot differentiate between a truth and a lie by how it makes you feel. You need something other than your emotions to guide you. We need the word of God. The word of God is active in its truth. Jesus said, your word, Father, your word is truth. And he even said the scripture, can't, it can't err. He treated it like it was completely trustworthy. If you trust Jesus, you can trust the word. His word is truth. Don't take my word for it. Ask him to convince you. Wow. Note also what the Bible says about the power, not just of belief, but of speech. Speech. In Proverbs 6, 2, it says you've been trapped by what you said. You, you've been ensnared by the words of your mouth. Proverbs 12, 14 says, from the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. Some of you are very familiar with Proverbs 18, 20, 21. It says, from the fruit of 
their mouth, a person's stomach is filled with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Today we're going to focus on saying what God says about who he is, who he says you are, and what he's given you, what he's given me. This is going to affect three things. It's going to affect what you believe. It's certainly going to affect what you say, and it's going to ultimately affect what you experience. It's going to affect what you experience. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a person thinks, so is he or so is she. As you think, neuroscientists have finally caught up with the Bible. They now believe this to be true. They believe that that what you think and what you believe and even what you say can literally affect what you experience. What you experience. And it certainly will affect your morale. And they've learned that the brain has the capacity to, and it's so, they, they call it neuroplasticity. It's so flexible. You can create new pathways in your brain by learning to believe and speak differently than you've been taught to believe and speak. What makes this challenging? Some of us have have wanted to to believe differently about ourselves and speak differently about God and ourselves. But what makes it so challenging? Because it is challenging. If you tried it, you know. It's a journey. What makes it challenging is the lies. We spent a lifetime believing. These lies need to be systematically dismantled. They're not going to go away without an intentional dismantling of them. And they, they typically come from three sources. They can come from your family of origin. Now, not every problem comes from your family of origin. I know a young man, by young, I, I mean he's 40 years of age. For me, that's, that's still, that's young. But he, um, he will tell you he grew up in a, in a really special family. He felt loved unconditionally by his parents. He felt affirmed. He felt that they were present to him. But when he was nine, he was invited by a little buddy he was hanging out with to go to his house. And so he did. And he went to that home, and that boy's mom, a single mom, was sitting there with her boyfriend. They were smoking pot and watching porn. And they invited this boy and her son to sit down and watch porn with him. And he did. And in that moment, the evil one put a hook in his heart. And he, he didn't have a normal struggle with lust like some young men do. It was a real addiction. And he struggled with it for years. And he's finding freedom today, thankfully. But this was something that happened in childhood that didn't happen to do with his family of origin. But some of our stuff comes from our family of origin. I I know a person, knew her quite well. Her family of origin were people who, if you looked at them from a little bit of a distance, they seemed to really have their stuff together. They had a pretty good marriage, the husband and wife. There was no addiction in the family, but 
There were a couple where mom and dad could never be wrong. They were right about everything. They were perfectionistic. They were very type A, almost impossible for the kids to please. It deeply wounded this person, I knew. And then there are experiences in adulthood. I know a person who grew up with a dad from heaven. So her family of origin was a positive experience. Her dad was amazing. He affirmed her so well. He was always present to her. But then when she married, in the course of time, her husband was so verbally abusive, he dismantled her confidence. She became crushed. So sometimes these lies we believed about ourselves come from our family of origin, sometimes from other experiences, sometimes experiences in adulthood, sometimes they come from dark forces. Some of you know the reality of dark forces. Now, not every problem is from the devil, but I know for a fact that the devil makes every problem worse. I know that the Bible teaches us that the devil is something, someone to be contended with. Jesus knew there was a personal devil and there were dark forces associated with him and he called this particular creature that we often refer to as the devil, he not only referred to him as Satan, which means the adversary, he, he referred to him as the archon. That was the original language word, the archon of this world, meaning he's the ruler of the world. And the apostle John said the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. So when you see, you see bad stuff going down in the world, you know, typically we blame it on God. But the first century apostles believed that it should be blamed on the devil. Jesus said the thief came only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life. The Bible tells us that Jesus of Nazareth healed people who were oppressed by the devil. It says Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. Boy, we're really quick to blame God for the the worst of life, aren't we? But Jesus shows us God loves to heal. He loves to deliver. He loves to set people free from the devil. But sometimes we believe lies because this this power of darkness sends out agents, we call them demons, agents that are assigned to you. And they, they introduce thoughts into your mind. And they watch to see how you respond to those thoughts. Now, I don't believe the devil can read your mind but I believe that the devil has assigned particular agents, demon forces, to observe each of us. And and then through observation, they learn what each of us is vulnerable to, just like a major league pitcher. So if I'm a major league pitcher and I face you, you're on my rival team, and I've learned through pitching against you that every time I throw a fastball, you knock it out of the park. Guess what I'm not gonna throw you? But if every time I throw you a curveball, I strike you out, I'm going to keep throwing curveballs. The devil learns what we're vulnerable to. And he keeps throwing that stuff at us until, until we start learning how to resist. And we've got to learn how to do what the New Testament calls taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to learn to discern, hey, that thought is not from God. How do I know that? Because we've become familiar enough with the Bible to know that God doesn't speak to us that way. 
We even get to know in the course of time the tone of God's voice. I remember somebody shared with me a prophetic word. I was speaking at a conference, and after, after the conference, you know, there was a prayer line, and in my experience, sometimes in the prayer line are people who have words of rebuke for you. It's actually unusual for me to be speaking somewhere and not have someone rebuke me almost 100% of the time. And sometimes they really escalate. I mean, sometimes their voices get raised. That's just been my experience. So this person had a word for me. It was quite a strong rebuke. Now, it could be, I mean, you know, Jesus rebuked his disciples sometimes. But I remember saying to this person, what, what seemed so off about this wasn't even the content. It had to do with something else. It was a tone. And I said to her, you know, it's not that I'm unwilling to consider what you have to say, but first of all, you need to realize that every prophetic word should be shared as a fallible word. Right? Because the New Testament tells us to test prophetic words. So humble people, when they share a word with you, something they believe God has given them to share, they will, they will say, test this. Test this. I don't have the infallible ear. Test this. One of the most profoundly prophetic people I, I know, I mean, I know him quite well, we ministered together for a number of years. He did this repeatedly. I, I saw him with many people. Do you know, here's something I think the Lord has given me to share with you. Feel free to test it. We, 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 should, we should think of that as our default response to any word. So first of all, this person didn't do that. And then I realized these words were, the effect they were having was condemnation, judgment, and shaming. And I said to her, and I was so glad I felt liberated in the moment. I think this was probably the first time I had ever said this to someone who had delivered such a word to me. And I said, you know, I'm not trying to insult you, but... I'm not accepting that word. And she got all defensive and riled up. I said, Let's, guess, guess what? My father never uses that tone of voice to talk to me. Never uses that tone of voice. My father always invites me. He doesn't push me away with rejection and shaming and judging. That's not who he is. How have I learned this? I've taken a deep dive into the word, and so can you. Not only that, we need, to, we need to live under the influence of the Spirit so that we know the Spirit and the Word always agree. They always agree. We'll learn to know even the tone of God's voice. We can learn when something's not from God. And we can say, no, I'm not accepting that. In the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says our battle isn't against people. It's against principalities and powers of darkness. Spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms, rulers and powers and so forth. I mean, really, seriously, there's dark influences in this world. So what's the antidote? Well, we now turn our attention to what God says about himself, who he says you are, and what he's given you. Because we got to know God. We got to know who we are. We got to know what he's given us. He's given us a lot of stuff, by the way. And this isn't even going to be exhaustive. Just going to hardly touch the surface. And I'm not going to say a whole lot that you haven't heard before. The question isn't, have you heard it before? The question is, are you acting on it? Right? Isn't that the case? Do you know, when I, was a, I got to coach, I, I love coaching wrestling. 
I focus on the basics. And the basics are, are very, very boring. But they're the most important thing if you want to build a foundation. And I would guess that's true if you're learning the piano. Now, some of you may remember the original Karate Kid. He thought he was going to learn to, to wax cars. Remember what, he, what Mr. Miyagi taught him? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. For hours he did this. Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Finally, in frustration, he comes to Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi, come on, seriously? All day long, wax on, wax off. What's the point? And suddenly, Mr. Miyagi throws a punch at him. And he immediately deflects it. Throws another one. He deflects it again. Oh, he just developed some muscle memory. Don't get tired of the basics. Don't get tired of the basics, like, read your Bible! Read your Bible. Pray, seek God. Experience community. Learn to fast. Not to be a Pharisee. Pharisees do all those things. They just do them for a different why. What's your why? They do them because they want to manage their image. Right? They want to look spiritual. That's more important to them than being spiritual. Do them for the reasons Jesus did them for. To connect with God. To experience almighty supernatural God. What's God tell us about himself? He tells us he's exactly like his son. The Bible says nobody's ever seen God, but you know what? They've seen his son. They've seen his son. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen Father. And the writer to the Hebrews said, he's the exact representation of the Father's being. Exactly. There's no, you can say this, take it to the bank, there's no unchristlike feature to God. Do you know, Jesus did get upset with some people. You know who they were? Self-righteous religious people. You want to see Jesus get riled? Be really self-righteous. Think you're better than people. What does God tell him about himself? He's just like Jesus, which means he's really good. He's really kind. He wants to draw people in, not push them away. And I want to say, you'll find out if you let yourself just get close to him, he's better than advertised. Who does he say I am? Who does he say you are? This brings us to spiritual identity issues. You know, identity is important. As an author, Neil T. Anderson, he learned this. It's impossible to behave in a way that's inconsistent with how you see yourself. It's impossible to behave in a way that's inconsistent with how you see yourself. You will always behave exactly how you see yourself. Who does God say, I am? He says, you're my child. John chapter 1, verse 12. That's, you get the gospel here in John 1, 12. To as many as received him, and it's talking about Jesus, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To all who believed on his name. In that text, it equates Believing with receiving. If you think you believe, but you haven't received, you have not yet believed. To as many as received Jesus, to all who believed on his name, 
To them he gave that authority to become the children of God. Who does he say I am? I'm his child. You're not illegitimate. You belong. You belong. Isn't it great to belong to a part of a family? That's why we can say, our Father, you're in heaven. And also we learn from Scripture, we're not just technically a child. We're, we're a loved child. We're beloved. Colossians 3.12 says that we're God's chosen, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. His heart is tender toward us. Remember the first time, if you're a parent, remember the first time you held your child? Wow. Wow. Who does he say I am? I am. I'm his child. I'm his beloved, and I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, that person's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means your history doesn't define your destiny. But, you know, I mean, as painful as your childhood may have been, painful as some of your experiences in adulthood may have been, your history doesn't have to define your, your destiny. You're a new creature. The oldest passed away. All things are made new. What has he given me? Well, he's given me forgiveness. Last week we talked about 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God, being faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us. From all unrighteousness, he's forgiven us, and that's a big deal. To know that your sins are forgiven? Wow. And he's also given us something, whether you're a, a male or female, he's given us what, what the Bible calls sonship. It said he sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts by which we call out Abba, Father. And in Romans it says, our spirit bears witness with or his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Spirit of sonship, we're a child. We have that right of access to God. We're welcomed at the table. We're welcomed in the home. We're welcomed in the family. Some of us have felt like, well, we've gotten an invitation to the party, but maybe it's better if we don't come in. God wants you around the table. We've been invited to intimacy. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God has called us into fellowship with his son. Fellowship isn't casual interaction, according to the Bible. Fellowship is real, real deep relationship. God has called us into fellowship with his son. God's given us significance. We've been talking a little bit about this verse here weeks ago. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's got a plan for you. He's got, a, he's got a design for you, but he won't force you into it. He won't force you into anything. He'll invite you into it. And then God's, God's made available to us unconditional and inexhaustible and non-coercive and non-intrusive love. Boy, that's pretty good. And he's, and he's told us that we can have his abiding presence and, and that even in times of trouble, he's near He'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. He's an ever-present help to, in times of trouble. He's, he's promised to give us provision. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All of these can influence what we believe and what we say. And they can influence the other side of confession. So we say all of these things. Let's, let's stop repeating lies. 
Let's stop repeating lies. Just because, for example, someone in your family or three people or 10 people in your family struggled with addiction that you are destined to struggle with addiction. Or just because you have a family history of people committing adultery that that means that you're going to. Or going to jail that that means that you're going to. We've been ransomed from the feudal way of life inherited from our forefathers, the Bible says. Your history doesn't have to define your destiny. So that's my invitation to you today. Would you, would you invite the Holy Spirit today to affect your beliefs by learning the Word of God and getting to know the God of the Word? And also by learning over the course of time to adjust your speaking, your language, so that it's consistent, more consistent with what he says. Because there's power in the tongue. I remember reading a little booklet by John Osteen years ago called There's a Miracle in Your Mouth. There is. There is. So, again, most of you are regulars. Some of you are guests. Some of you are guests online. If you've never welcomed Jesus into your heart, today's the day. Why wait? And if you did before, you can welcome him again. Just, just Lord, for the record, I want to say... Come on in. Let's have communion today. Let's have fellowship today. You want to pray with me? You can pray aloud if you want. You don't have to. But dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me and everyone else. Would you help me to receive the miracle of faith Would you wash me afresh? Would you adjust the beliefs that I've held so that I'm now believing your truth? And would you help me to adjust my speech so that I begin to more consistently say what you'd like me to say so that I can more consistently experience what you want me to experience? I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Amen.